Passing Dimes is over the moon to partner with Betstamp. Betstamp is a mobile app in the sports betting space that shows you the odds from every sports book in one spot. Do you enjoy betting on the NHL, the NBA, the NFL, World Cup, or more? With Betstamp, you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Go to the App Store today and download Betstamp for free and use code DIMES. That's D-I-M-E-S. For a limited time, Betstamp is offering you, a friend of the show, an opportunity to learn more about Betstamp and several sportsbooks where you can get an edge in online sports betting. Message the Passing Dimes Instagram or Facebook account for more information. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. I got to watch him early on in my OVA career where he was dominating the circuit. So today's guest grew up playing for Forest Heights and for Thunderbirds Club, and he went on to play for Big Ups, which played in the OVA and OVL. He played university at Waterloo and Laurier. He's a four-time OVA provincial champion and played in the finals eight of nine years. That's got to be a modern-day record. Please welcome to the show, Mark Gatto. Mark, thanks for doing this, man. Hey, Josh. Thanks for having me. Always happy to talk all things volleyball. Amazing to get you here. So I, I didn't even include one volleyball league that I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, a lot of our listeners will recognize you as still going, which is awesome. But I do want to start from the beginning. So before you were a Forest Heights guy or a club guy, was volleyball always your thing or what other sports were you playing when you were growing up? Um, I played a lot of different sports. I mean, you know, I love track, hockey, baseball. Um, but uh, to be honest, I think I'd spent most of my childhood just sprinting from point A to point B because basically walking is really boring. So it was my friends and I we were always racing each other. And then we spent the rest of our time trying to jump as high as possible, whether that was grabbing a low hanging tree branch or trying to grab a rim. So, um, when I first was, um, introduced to volleyball, probably grade five or grade six, I already knew I loved it immediately because it was involved jumping and it was a ball sport. Awesome. And did you have some pretty good uh, coaches when you started out? Because I think volleyball is one of those sports where until you get the skills down, it's not that fun if there's a bunch of rally killers around you, right? Yeah, no, I, I was really lucky. I mean, I played played high school volleyball, Forest Heights in Kitchener. And my first high school coach was Paul Pavin, who's Sarah Pavin's dad. And I mean, honestly, well, I was really fortunate. He was always a winning coach. And uh, he was somebody who put a lot of pressure on his players to perform. So he wouldn't shy away from pointing out your mistakes. You know, if, if you shank the pass, he'd let you know about it. If, you know, if you missed a serve, you're going to hear from. So I would say that his style of coaching either broke you down or it pushed you to get better. And I always loved it because I just found it motivating. I always wanted to get better and he demanded the most of us. So I enjoyed being pushed really hard by him in practice. You know, and then the other thing was the first, the first thing when I first tried out for the team, um, I was so excited to pass and hit. Those are my two favorite skills. And about two practices in, Paul said, you're going to be a setter. And I was kind of devastated, to be honest. I mean, at first I was anyway, because now I wasn't going to do those two things I love to do so much in the sport. But certainly looking back at my career, I know I went a lot farther as a setter than I ever would have as a six foot left side hitter. So I'm actually very thankful you made me a setter at that time. Nice. Yeah. And I, I reached out to some friends of the show just to try to get some stories before we started. And uh, credit to you guys. Mike Slane seems to think you guys were always in the top three in the province. Like when you remember playing for Foresight's, like did you have a lot of good battles either with like Slaner's team or I think Oak Ridge would have been really good at that time. Or who were some other teams you were competing with either at tournaments or at OFSA or to even get out of your region? 
Yeah, we um, yeah, I've definitely battled Celine. We had, I remember when I was in grade 11, uh, played on a senior team and we were playing, uh, we played him in, I think the finals of most of the tournaments and uh, we, we were on course, a crash course to meet each other in OFSA, but we actually got upset quite early in the tournament and they went on to win that year. Um, and then, yeah, we played Mike again the following year at OFSA. So yeah, we've had some good battles for sure. I'm trying to think of all the other teams. Yeah, Oak Ridge, absolutely. Oak Ridge and Saunders in London. One, by the time I got to the senior team, we, we um, played Pope John Paul a lot, which was Neil Mason, Rob Gannett, uh, Joe Couture. We had some big battles with them. So yeah, it was, it was definitely London teams, a uh, few Toronto teams, uh, even Ottawa. It was Ottawa had, uh, you know, Rob Jansen and basically a whole team of club players. Those are our main rivals, I would say. Um, but yeah, man, we had some battles. There's no question. Now, is it fair to say at that time, school ball was as competitive as club? And what I mean by that is there was just so much fewer clubs. And I think the, the age different, I don't think a lot of people remember because club kids today are spoiled where you can play like individual 14U, 15U, 16U. In our era, it was like 14U, 16U, 18U, I think, right? Like it was a little bit more spread out. So did you always look forward to school season because it was that competitive or was club just another step above that? Yeah, I mean, no, I always look forward to high school because... First of all, it started as soon as you got to school in September. So that was just the perfect way to start. Um, and yeah, the, the, the caliber is really similar. You know, we had, we were lucky. We had about, I think, three club players on our team. You know, there's, there's high school teams now that have like half their squad at least plays club. It's much more common. But like I said, we were so lucky. Um, I had Paul as a coach. He was so good at developing players at high school. And we just spent hours. I just remember even in the early days, you know, we would spend hours in practice with just me setting middle hitters and Paul would toss the ball anywhere in the court. And I have to force the ball in the middles. We did this endlessly, but that honestly gave me a lot of confidence to do that throughout my career. So we had a really awesome team, lots of great players. And, um, I, I really have Paul to thank for that. You know, he's the one that built that whole program and for making me the player I am today, basically. Yeah. And was Paul maybe influential in you wanting to play post-secondary? Was that just a natural step because you played for a good high school, you played for a good club that you knew you wanted to continue volleyball when you went to university? Yeah. I mean, I think I always knew I wanted to. I just, I fell in love with that sport so hard. Um, you know, I played, loved lots of sports growing up, but as soon as I found volleyball, it was, that was it. I just knew I wanted to do it. And I can actually remember early high school, probably grade nine or grade 10, uh, the Canadian men's team was playing at the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. And, uh, man, they had a tough pool. I remember they had us, Spain, France, Italy, and I think Japan, and they had Spain. They took Spain and us right to the very brink, but they weren't quite able to, to beat them. And I always watched Kent Greaves set up for Canada. He, I tried to emulate everything he did, his style, the way he carried himself. Um, so that was just an awesome inspirational moment for me that made me want to play it. No question. I wanted to play it in university. Now with the club scene, um, I, I don't know what it is, but I think everyone who played for Solars, they just keep the legacy alive about how many people come through the alumni and how competitive they are. But uh, it's my understanding that when you played big up, like that was a big rival and you guys were neck and neck with them. So what was it like playing club? And maybe I got my timeline wrong where I think you played club even into adult when OVA still offered like a senior league. Right. But uh, what was it like just the level of Ontario there where, like we said, like you, you played against Sleener and Dan Lewis and all these other guys, but you also had to run into Solars every now and then. Right. 
Yeah. So, so big up was big up was just men's ball, men's club later in life. Um, but yeah, when we played uh, high school playing like Thunderbirds, we had, you know, my lot, my me like mid high school years, we had, you know, West side, which is loaded. It was like Delaney, um, Dan Lewis, um, a whole bunch of awesome players. Um, and we, I say the teams we played later on in my high school career was London Forest city always had a strong squad. And, uh, again, Araska, they had like Chris Wolfenden and a whole host of other players. So high school, um, there were some fantastic club teams. And then I played big up after university, actually, that really helped me rekindle my passion for the game, which I had completely lost after university was done. Yeah. So let's start there with the university. Did you know you wanted to stay close to home or was there just something appealing about being a Waterloo warrior? Um, you know what? They, they were a dynasty in the late eighties, uh, Waterloo was, and I think watching, going and watching their games, I was always inspired and I always thought, wouldn't it be cool to stay here and play for them? Um, I was looking at York was, I almost went to York and Waterloo was an option. I ended up choosing Waterloo when it was all said and done. Um, it, it was tough. I'm not going to lie. I had an incredibly disappointing university career. Um, I, my high school career is so fantastic. I have so many great memories. I was able to play provincial team, regional team, uh, lots of winning. And then, you know, a week before I started my university career, uh, I tore my rotator playing beach volleyball. So I entered the university scene with being injured. And of course I didn't want to miss any playing time. So I never really stopped playing to heal my shoulder and just kept getting worse. And, uh, yeah, I played on a team, I played on a team that was really inexperienced. We had a lot of raw players and unfortunately we didn't have a lot of leadership or an identity. There was just, I just didn't have that sense of belonging at university. And so by the time I got probably to the end of my second year, my shoulder was completely shot and I wanted to get out of this environment. And so I decided to sit out my third year to rest my shoulder. And that's when I made the transition to Laurier where I played my last couple of years. So, um, being completely honest, university for me was an incredible disappointment and, um, wish I could have done things differently, but you know, the one bright spot that came for me going to Waterloo was that I got to meet Jason Hubbard, who ended up being a future beach partner of mine. For sure. For sure. So you, you touched on it earlier. Let's jump ahead to there. Uh, I know one volleyball existed and you played for that, but it's been tough in Ontario to get like a serious senior league. Like obviously Scarborough Men's, I think fills that gap a little bit, but for something as wide as the province, like, like I mentioned, Solars earlier, big ups or Selena had the blues brothers. Like there was some good leagues in the OVA and the OVL. So what was it like? Like when did you first hear about this or know it existed or get your squad together to play in that league? Well, I was, uh, let's see, I was in, I think I was just finishing university and I wasn't playing anywhere at that point and other than playing a little bit of beach. And, uh, I think it was Al Arsenault that contacted me and said, Hey, you know, we have a, a men's team. It's called big up. We have some good, uh, ex university players. Do you want to come try it out? So yeah, absolutely. I'm looking for something. So I was making a drive. I was living in Kitchener. They were practicing in Toronto. I was making a drive once a week, you know, at rush hour to go practice with them. And boy, I immediately loved the guys. Everyone was so focused. Everyone was, um, had super high abilities and we just meshed. I remember it was like, uh, Al Arsenault, Andrew Pelche, uh, Andrew White, Calder and Spence, uh, Roland Lewis. It was just such an awesome group of high energy guys. And 
it immediately brought back my passion for playing indoor ball. So that's how I found out about it. And then I think, I don't know how long it played, maybe about another five to eight years with that club. Now, obviously there was a provincial story. Was there nationals for that uh, division as well? Yep. Yep. We played nationals every year. Um, and you know, there's some stacked teams. Like it was usually us, uh, the rough riders, which was Delaney and, uh, snake and that group of guys, Doug McBride. And then, uh, blues brothers always had a good team, which would have been Sween and company. So there were some phenomenal ex national team, ex university players playing at a really high level. And it, it was, it was phenomenal. Every tournament was tough and there were so many quality guys to play against. So I love that, um, part of my career. Yeah, is that just a credit to the volleyball community? Because uh, I like how you mentioned how serious and dialed in the guys were. But uh, let, let's be honest, people in that league were having a lot of fun too. So what was it like to battle against these guys and, and try to battle and win the tournament, but still be able to go out and have a good time afterwards, right? Like, I understand, like, even though you were on a rival team, like you could still be friends with Delaney and Sleener and all these guys afterwards, right? Yeah, that was, that was definitely the best part. I mean, kind of kind of reminds me back to the old days of the beach scene too, where we used to be able to do that. We'd We'd uh, kill each other on the sand all day. And then after we'd go out and, you know, enjoy some time together, hanging out and reminiscing about how the day went, which is something that doesn't really happen these days. Um, so that that's something I definitely miss from that community because, you know, if you only see people when you're competing against them, it's, it's a very different relationship than when you get to actually see them off the court. You know, you don't really get to know what kind of people they are. And there's a lot of fantastic people there you see across the net that um you would want to spend more time with if you knew that side of them now where did beach enter for you were you playing at a younger age or did you pick that up in your adult years uh i started boy i think i played my first beach tournament in grade eight at subtle beach um because we used to always go to subtle beach in the summer and i and i loved it right away and then um you know what and i didn't play it that much through high school i was kind of off and on and, uh, cause I was always working in the summer and I played, you know, provincial team and regional team that took up all my time, but I would say late high school, um, sorry, I guess it would have been late university, the OVA, I was playing a little bit of the open tournaments for the OVA, but that was the first time they came out with this U24 division. I think it was just the first time they had any kind of underage division. And I remember I played with, uh, Jake Maglin and we were just crushing everybody cause there weren't, there weren't a lot of really awesome young teams at that point. And I thought, man, I, after the season's done, I want to see if Jake wants to play more tournaments, but in the open division, um, but he wasn't available. I, I don't know if he was away for school or he already had a partner, but he was playing with Jason Hubbard in the adult tournaments. And of course I needed a full-time blocking partner and I always liked Jason's ball control. And I also needed a really great setter on my side. So yeah, I just reached out to him and he said, yes. And I guess the rest is history. So I will say one thing about my partnership with Jason over the years, it far exceeded my greatest expectations for what a truly, you know, enjoyable, successful and meaningful beach partnership could be because we had a lot of success in the court, but we also truly loved hanging out together and grinding out all the practices and tournaments and just, just getting better every day. 
Yeah, just before we jump ahead to that, because I'm, I'm just scrolling through the videos that uh, either you posted or your parents posted, but they did a great job and just the archives here. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned the the youth circuit didn't exist, which is kind of the lion's share of the OVA Beach Tour right now is the kids playing. But you having to play against adults. There's a video here of you playing against child Drakeage. So what was that like? I think you were still in high school playing against like top, top Canadian teams here. Right. So what was it like being like a young gun and going to these events and playing some of the best players in the country? Yeah, that was, I remember that match so well. So classic Salvo Beach back in the day, you know, there was pools of water everywhere. We just play through it. No one even gives a second thought. And I guess, I guess child and Drake just showed up for just to get a quick win and get out of there. And we had them in pool play. I think it was in grade 10, grade nine or grade 10 playing with a high school buddy. And, uh, you know, it was just, you got to see, I'm sure they were just having some fun, but you got to see what true professionals are like. But I do remember one point, if you watch in the video, I, I sort of chest packed Drakeage with one of my hits. I don't know how we missed that one, but I remember the play after that, I think one of us hit a ball way down the beach and he just said, you can go grab that. <laughs> you know, so he, he made us go shag the ball for him and we happily did cause we didn't know any better. Right. So, um, yeah, it was, that was awesome being part of that. See, I, I have the, the greatest memories, you know, they used to have the, they'd have the music playing at the beach and just being a part of that scene made me so happy. So you mentioned Jason Hubbard and obviously you guys had a lot of success and you mentioned the friendship there. Uh, I do want to pull on one point you said there that you guys would train and I, I want people to get a clear impression here that there wasn't organized groups or like I don't think there was a beach provincial team. So you had to take it pretty seriously for you guys to be practicing on your own, right? Like, is it fair to say that there was guys who would just show up and play tournaments? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was more uh, guys would get out and just play like they, they wouldn't necessarily train that much. Um, a lot of guys would just spend as much time as they could playing, but you know, we, we kind of always laugh because Jason and I both had full-time jobs. Um, we wanted to play all the events and Jason and I was a teacher in Barrie. So the only time uh, up until basically the end of June, I guess, the only time that the two of us could coordinate was 6 a.m. weekday mornings because Jason had to be back in Barrie by 9 a.m. to teach. So we literally trained, you know, most days at 6 a.m. And it was kind of crazy because... You know, the typical drills that most people do for warm up was basically what we had to do for our entire practice. You know, we did two man ball control drills, conditioning, one on one games. I mean, we used to play, I remember we used to play full court, three touch, regular volleyball, just one on one. And man, those are tough, but whatever it took to get better. And I actually really believe that those 6 a.m. sessions really built the foundation for our success because we had to work so hard. Um, just to keep our skills going. But, and it was kind of funny. We were always the butt of a lot of jokes because, you know, no other team in their right mind would train with us at 6 a.m. They had the choice. So they didn't. So, um, you know, I always felt like I always wanted to do things differently than everyone else. So those early morning sessions for me gave me a lot of confidence that we could overcome difficult situations in competition because I, be, I knew that no one else was willing to do that. So that was always a big confidence booster for me. Um, I guess, I guess the other thing was along kind of along those same lines of wanting to be different. I always, right from a young age, starting volleyball, I always loved watching how other players reacted and behaved on court. Just, you know, I quickly noticed, I guess that the typical response when you played poorly or you made mistakes was to get really emotional and you swear and you scream and you have body, you know, really bad body language. And because I always wanted to be different, I just tried to do the exact opposite. I wanted to do whatever the hard thing was, which was basically keeping my composure, not showing my frustration and being calm because 
I just didn't want my opponent to have any kind of read on me during the match. You know, and of, of course I got frustrated plenty of times, but I think for the most part, I stayed calm in most situations. Um, you know, even to this day, as soon as I see my opponent getting frustrated, I know I have them. So uh, I guess being composed is a huge part of my game. And uh, my confidence was really built on doing those hard things that pe- the other people weren't doing, or at least maybe they weren't doing well. Now, did you and Jason Hubbard ever consider going on tour? And the reason I asked that is just, again, scrolling through some of the people you played against, you were playing against people who were representing Canada, whether it was Arsenal or Hauser or Simic or Japanier or um, uh, Miguel and Darren. Like uh, you're playing all these top guys who were trying to go on tour a little bit. Did that ever cross your mind or you guys thought, uh, you know, we got our full time jobs we're training in the morning. We're going to play the local circuit and try to win as much as we can here at home. Yeah, I think it was the latter. We just, um, I mean, I thought of it on several occasions, but to your point, we just, we always had full-time jobs and it just didn't seem feasible for our partnership. And we were happy that the caliber was so good here. And we could also go to American tournaments on the East coast and the caliber was awesome there. So we just wanted to do the best we possibly could within Canada nationals and provincials. And yeah, I think it was, it was just the jobs that kind of, uh, kind of kept us local. Now, when you and Hubbard split, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you guys won provincials that year. Was the year last year together, um, what was it, Kruger Simic? Was that the year on the OVA circuit? We So last year, Hubbard and I played together. We played Holmes and Trepani in the final. And then, so that was, yeah, we played for five years. That was our last year. We won. Then we split that winter. And I teamed up with Adrian Waglow. And interestingly, the very first year that Adrian and I played together, we matched up with Hubbard and Anton Hauser in the semifinals of Provincials next year. So one of us was going to keep this this streak alive of getting to the OVA finals. And I remember we were down, we were up 13-12. We made the side change on 13-12. And then they they just rolled. They, they uh, pulled out the victory. And so Jason's actually the only person I know that has been to six straight OVA finals um, the following year, Adrian and I played Sig, Simic and Kruger in the in the finals. Okay, and did you and Adrian run the table that year on the OVA circuit? Uh, we did. Those two years, I would say, with Adrian, were probably my most dominant as a beach player. We didn't run the table, but I know both years, I think we won at least five tournaments, and we went down to the States for a couple on the EVP tour. And we won a couple tournaments there. That was so, so satisfying. Um, you, you honestly couldn't have put two more different people together with Adrian and I. We had completely different personalities. You know, we we're always butting heads on like serving strategy and who we were going at. But something just worked with our skill set on the court. We just, I think our skills were so different, but they complemented each other so well. And it meant it made for two phenomenal years. I just, I was, those are the most dominant for sure of my career. Yeah, if you had to think back, how did that partnership come together? Because uh, for our listeners uh, who might not recognize Adrian, uh, he was a UFC guy, and I think he played in that era uh, kind of with Sleen, but was still there when Binstock was there. So he was a UFT guy, and I, I don't think you guys would have crossed paths too much because of the conferences in the OUA at that time. But uh, were you both just looking for partners at that time, or did you play one event to give it a shot and you had instant success? Like, what was the beginning of that partnership? Well, I don't even know if Adrian knows this, but I hadn't planned to play with him at the beginning of that year, I was looking for a partner and I actually asked Mark Arsenault to play. Um, and the year before Mark played with Adrian. And I remember those guys never got past the 
the semifinals or never got to the semifinals of a tournament. I thought, man, I think Mark and I could do something together. You know, if we had a lot of time to work together. So asked him to play, he said, yeah, let's do it. And I think our first or second session together, uh, Mark was doing just, I think he was peeling off the net and doing a deep squat. And he's, I guess he's always had bad knees. He has had big knee problems. He just said, I'm done. I can't do this. Like my knees are done. So that immediately ended our partnership because he wasn't going to play. And I don't know. I knew Adrian was available. And I think, I think we might've played one tournament just to see how it went and it went pretty well. Um, yeah, that was the beginning of it. Because like I said, playing against them, I always thought, man, this guy couldn't be any more different from me. I have no interest in playing with him. You know, just those are kind of my thoughts. But when it came together, like I said, for some reason, uh, something worked. Actually, one thing I remember playing the two years with Adrian was that was the beginning of where I kind of made a, a shift in my defense. And I committed fully to digging around the attack line with my hands because I was always very comfortable digging with my hands. And I thought I can cut off almost every angle that the hitter is going to use um i'm closer to the cutty i can grab the short stuff over the blocker of course you know there's some vulnerable positions when you're playing that far up um if someone has a good jumbo or you know if the ball is set tight and you have a very dynamic hitter who can hit some really intense angles those are potential spots where you can run into trouble but i was okay with those because i was picking up so many more balls so that's actually something I never, I don't see people do very often these days. Um, really committing, like you, you can't be halfway. You can't be halfway between short and deep. You got to be all the way up. Um, if people are really, really confident digging with their hands, I think there's a, list, a lot of scenarios when you can use that effectively, whether it's, you know, a smaller player attacking or a sets off the net. I think those are great opportunities um, to use your hands. Sorry, that's a bit of a, I got a bit of a tangent there, but. No, that that's awesome, and for anyone who's seen you play, they might be surprised to hear that you were a setter indoors. But uh, I didn't see you use your hands much on the beach. Was that just the era where it was kind of a deep dish and the ball had to be super clean, or or what caused you to be such a, a consistent bump setter on the beach? Ah, oh, man, I, I would love to say I was a better hand setter. I was a great hand setter. I'd be using my hands all the time. Um, but I just found indoor was fine because indoor for me was always getting the ball in the right position and putting it there quickly. And just the trajectory of the ball was fine for my hands, but the straight up and down setting, just, I don't know, I have incredibly stiff wrists that just, I feel like don't have that mechanical function. So for me, the getting a nice consistent up and down set was never an easy task. And after being called, I think I just didn't want to give away points um, being called for my hands. So I just said, I'm going to be a bump setter on the beach, even though, yep, I set indoors but there was just no connection for me or no translation to being a good outdoor setter. So, um, and one of your earlier points about how you went to the U S a lot with your partners and you played obviously the domestic circuit here, but going to the East coast U S tournaments, I've never been, but I have heard legend that sometimes I don't want to say unwelcoming because obviously it's an open tournament, but sometimes Canadians get reft a little bit harder or it's a little bit different. So did you find, uh, any weird experiences in going to the U S or because you were so competitive, like they had to respect your game and there wasn't going to be any weird stuff going on? You know, I, I didn't have any issues. Um, I think actually on the contrary, there was people that were incredibly supportive. I remember us playing in Chicago. I was playing with Hubbard, a couple events in Chicago on the EVP. And that was always such a fun event. Um, I mean, mind you, we get ranked dead last in the tournament. So you have to play good teams first, but that's okay. Um, but I remember people, some of the fans coming up and just saying, 
oh, this is awesome seeing people play defense. Like, I, I don't know if they just, that was not their mentality. They were all about offense, but they were just like, oh, it's great to see people digging balls. So they were actually really supportive, um, which was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, even the other players, like we all had respect for each other. I found at the end of the day, because, you know, when you have good, two good teams temp coming together, um, it's hard not to respect each other's skills and abilities at the end of the day. So just for my math here, I, I think you mentioned you played five of these provincial finals with Hubbard. Did you play the other three with Waglow or did you and Anton make one or who was your other partner that you would have made an OVA final with? Um, so, yeah, first five were with Hubbard. And then the sixth year, uh, the first year I played with Adrian Waglow, we did not make the, We lost in the semis. The year after that, Adrian and I made it to the semis. So it was my seventh year. Or sorry, we went to, made it to the finals in my seventh year. Um, the year after that, I actually partnered up with Matt Fugard right before provincial started, um, just before the provincial tournament. And uh, we made it to the finals. We lost. And then the year after that, Anton Hauser and I played my last provincial final together. So that would have been eight or nine years, uh, one, four of them. And uh, yeah, some, some really fantastic memories. And I'll tell you, um, for anybody who has played in the provincial championships, it is just a provincial championship, but those are harder to win than you think, because we always have always the traveling teams are always coming back for that one. And there's always enough really good local teams that are playing. So surprisingly, that is an incredibly difficult tournament to win. Yeah, hundred percent. So who were you playing with for most of the summer? Did you have a lot of different partners of the year with Fugard? And then what was the call there? Cause I think he was in that era where maybe those guys played U24 a lot, whether it was uh Hinchy or snake. And I would put Fugard in that group and other couple of young guys, but then they started to creep into the adult stuff. So was it just appealing to have this, this big young blocker who wanted to play with you or how did that partnership come together? You know what, actually, uh, Adrian Wegler and I started that summer together. So it would have been our third year together. Um, both of us were incredibly busy with work. We had no opportunities. Where, like We literally couldn't train together and we weren't training. It was just the circumstances of that year. So we, our game was just kind of getting worse. And they had sort of, I think they had like a, I think it was like a junior, maybe it might have been the beginning of an actual junior national team that were training all the time. I remember like guys like Cam Whelan and guys of that age group were starting to train all the time. So as the tournaments went on, you know, we were hanging on in tournaments, but we weren't doing well because we weren't getting the reps. And I think maybe our differences, you know, when things, when you're not winning, sometimes your differences start to come bubble up to the surface. And I think we were starting to disagree on things. And so it was just a last minute decision. I decided to play with, uh, Matt Fugard just right before provincials and, uh, I was lucky enough. He was uh, such a good big blocker, and I was lucky that we were able to to play well pretty quickly. So, yeah, I think uh, your generation deserves a lot of credit because when Leonard first got here, I think it was two thousand nine. I might have my timeline wrong, but you're right. That was the first time that there was like serious organized training for the national team where it was consistent, and th there was a bunch of people like you committed and Ferno and a bunch of other people who would play, but you weren't training full time. And now you're playing against you know Garrett May, Sam Schachter, Cam Whelan. Um, Dan Deering, like a, a bunch of people who were now committed. So what was it like in that era where you guys are competitive, but you, you just didn't have the time allotted to these guys who were training probably every morning at the beach, right? Cause they didn't have full-time jobs. They were students or, or people trying to be pro beach players. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, we had to really make the most of every single session. So if, if most of these guys are getting out say four or five days a week and we could only manage, I mean, at, at the very least I had to get out twice a week. One was not even close enough, but um, two to three times, if we can only get out two or three times, we have to make the most of it. 
And, you know, I mean, I guess the, the, the one advantage we had, they were, they were bigger, stronger, more physical. Um, but we had the experience, I think, to get through a lot of matches that maybe some of them lacked at moments, just being in big matches, uh, knowing how to close, how to stay composed. Um, you know, that's always, always an advantage that an experienced player has. And that, that's why I always say that, you know, beach is such a game of longevity. You need to play for years, not only with, you know, I always preferred to play with the same partner for years, just because it literally, it takes that long to get to know all the little details about what they're doing in every scenario. But just in general, um, you're not going to master beach in three or five years. You're just not, it takes decades in my opinion. I mean, I feel like still we're seeing some of the top players in the world now are a lot younger when you're looking at someone, a team like Molesorum, but I still feel like people aren't hitting their stride until they're around 30. I'm sure that'll probably change in the future, but it's a game of longevity and it's a game of patience. So those who are not patient are not going to last very long. So to, to jump ahead one more step, uh, when one volleyball happened, what made you want to sign up for that league? So obviously, uh, I think at that time, it might have been safe to say the community recognized you as a beach guy and a guy who was playing serious uh, on the tour there. But uh, I'm not sure many people would have remembered you as an indoor guy. So what, when did you hear that you could play like in another serious adult league for indoor? And, and kind of how did you think of the draft and, and the level of that league? Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the caliber of the teams was excellent. I think at that stage, I was way, way beyond my indoor prime, but I was just always looking for a new physical challenge. And I love the beach, and I was still playing, you know, some indoor, but I thought, you know what, there's no harm. I'll just enter the draft and see what happens. I didn't even know if I would get picked to a team. And uh, I did. And, you know, looking back, I certainly wasn't playing my best ball. I wish I had been sharper for my teammates because it was just, I mean, I was so beyond my good indoor playing years, um, but it was a really fun experience playing with the guys. Yeah, the, the talent level was awesome, and uh, it was fun to be part of that. But I knew after that year was done, that it was time for me to say that's enough for the indoor and let the young guys um, take it from there. Uh, so, yeah, I wish I could have played better. Let's just say that. <laughs> and just to jump ahead one step further, uh, I got to see you a lot this summer. You started coaching. You were helping out uh, our women's beach national team. Uh, my understanding is you're coaching clubs. So what's appealing to that? Because obviously you, you still keep yourself in great shape. You could play volleyball, but you've made the transfer to a coach. So what, what did you find appealing to be in a different role in our sport? Um, you know, I always, I always wanted to coach. I talked about it for years, but I never did it because I always wanted to play as much as possible. If I had the opportunity to play or coach, I always wanted to put playing first because I knew I only had a certain shelf life to do that. And I think that's why I put off coaching for so long, but now I'm at the point where I really want to give back, help players get better. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't always, as a player, I didn't always want to share you know, the things I'd figured out in beach or my secrets. Cause I always wanted to have that edge, but now I'm ready to, I want to share everything I know with players, see what they can use and help them go as far as possible in the sport. Because I think you need to have mentors and players that have been there before that you can talk to about these situations. Cause there's so much to learn in beach. And I mean, uh, you know, this is maybe getting a bit off topic, but one thing I have noticed from my coaching, you know, just with youth, younger players in general these days is just a lack of patience. I'm not saying all athletes, but, you know, and, and maybe it's because we live in this world of convenience and comfort and everything's so easy now, you know, you can, gosh, order Uber Eats on your couch and it's delivered in 20 minutes. You can watch any show you want in the world 
at any time with a click of a button. And we have so much comfort and convenience in life. And then you try to bring that sort of comfort convenience mentality over the sporting world. And it just doesn't work. You know, playing at a high level of sports has, for me, has nothing to do with comfort or being easy. You develop your skills over weeks and months and years. And, and certainly no one becomes great overnight. And there are so many obstacles and challenges that come your way. And you have to be tough enough mentally to overcome those and keep pushing. So my observations so far with my coaching with um, indoor and seeing younger players in general is that I think they have these incredibly high expectations, which is fantastic. And I think we need to have those um, huge expectations to go far, but they don't necessarily have the patience to get there. I, I see the, the frustration immediately when they're learning new skills. You know, unfortunately, some of them even quit the sport altogether because maybe, they, I don't know, maybe they thought it would be easier. But like I said before, beach is such a game of longevity. And, uh, you know, those with the most patience, I think, outlast the rest. So my, my message to young players out there, if you get cut from a team, but you love the sport of volleyball, prove everybody wrong and keep going, please. Don't, don't just go based on one coach's opinion. It doesn't mean it's the end of the road for you because there are a thousand different ways to achieve what you want. There's never just one path to the top. So I just want, I want younger players to be patient and keep pushing forward. But I know it's a real challenge because of the way we live our lives these days of ultra convenience, easy, you know, you get what you want right now and you deserve that. So um, I, I want kids to not stop if they have a, a few small obstacles, they got to keep pushing. And then actually one other thing I want to say that just reminded me, um, you know, to the beach parents, I kind of, I kind of laugh at this because I go to Ash Bridges and I'll see there's an OVA tournament going on. There's like a youth tournament going on. And I see like that, the parents build that like great wall of tents and umbrellas. And they, they pretty much, they almost build this like small community next to the courts and they've got enough food to last them weeks. And it's evident to me instantly, they love their kids. And, and I'm, man, I'm in support of that all the way. And it's fantastic. But please stop running to the washroom to fill your kid's water bottle, first of all, and stop shagging balls through them when they're hitting warm up. It, it kind of drives me crazy because I see beach volleyball is such a great sport because it allows kids to be independent. You know, they have to make their own decisions on court. They have to problem solve. But then, you know, we as parents, we kind of take away this independence because we're trying to help them on every step of the way. I see, I, for me, it's like in a warm up, each team should have one ball. You hit the ball, you go chase the ball. That's how it works for me. And, and if you don't have the endurance to get through that experience of warming up and chasing your own ball, then you just haven't done enough and you need to do it more. We need to let the kids play the game and learn on their own and stop doing everything for them, even if it's just out of pure love. Yeah, well said. And I'm glad you brought up the patience piece. So I am curious when you were at kind of at the peak and very competitive and going for, you know, provincial championships. And like you said, you played in, in eight finals there. Were you a guy in the spring? Were you talking about, oh, we need to make OVA provincials again? Or did you find yourself being patient and more of a process guy? Like, do you find this appealing as a coach because you were so good at it as a player? Or how did you kind of assess it when you were kind of in the fire a little bit as an athlete? Uh, yeah, I think I was definitely a process person. I mean, you know, we always had the long-term goals, whatever they were. Um, you know, I always had in the back of my mind, I'd love to get to another provincial finals or um, improve our our finals or sorry, improve our finish at nationals from the year before. 
Um, but I think I always love just the daily grind of being in it and knowing that, yes, if you just kind of focus on the process along the way, those great, those great outcomes are going to be there for you. You're going to, the winning is going to come, but you're just sitting there thinking about the winning. Um, it's distracting. You know, I think it holds you back from just working on your craft every single day and getting a little bit better. And certainly it's a long season and you need to have patience if you want to do anything. Like I said before, you're not going to get there overnight. Yeah, and I think the patience thing definitely applies to even like you like you're saying in these long term goals, but even in the short term where if somebody doesn't side out two or three times in a row, it seems like that third one, they're pressing the panic button. So I'm curious with your own play style on the beach. How did you stay calm where you weren't like a big rah rah guy? Like you said, you weren't going to have these outbursts, but uh, how would you stay patient over the course of, say, a set or over the course of a match? I don't know. I guess it's just it was a mentality I had. But, you know, knowing even when you're down four or five points, sometimes I'll hear people say, Oh yeah, so-and-so was in the third set of the game. They were up, they were up six, two and they lost. And I'll look at them. I'll think six, two, that's nothing. The game hasn't even begun yet. Just, just knowing that, you know, the later the match goes on, the more most people start thinking, overthinking, the more pressure there is on everybody. So just having that confidence in yourself to stay calm and stay composed and only focus on the very next play um, I think I always believed that we could come back no matter what situation we were in. Now you had some great partnerships that we've already talked about, but I'm curious what you would encourage uh, an athlete you're coaching. How did you support your partner or how would you encourage somebody? Because like you said, you, you played with guys who were like lifelong friends and you played with guys that you couldn't be more opposite of, but you still got the most out of your partner. So what are some tricks for some younger athletes so they can help their partner? Because the, the worst thing I always thought on the OVA when, you know, somebody hands in the clipboard and they're talking to the friend about they lost, they're just like, Oh, well they, they serve my partner. And to them, that was just like the biggest off ramp. Like, Oh, I couldn't do anything. They, they served my partner and you know, I didn't get a chance where there's, there's several layers that you can do to support your partner. So what would you ask these young athletes to look for? so they can be a better partner, even if they're not receiving serve? Yeah, that's such a great question because, you know, it's so easy with beach volleyball. We're always programmed to look at, you know, the other team and look for the weaknesses and who's the weaker player and you want to attack them and, and bring crush them. Um, so it can become, it become a blame game sometimes. But, uh, you know, I think one thing is finding a partner has to do with, you know, do your skill sets match? Um, but certainly you have to have chemistry together. I think, uh, if you don't enjoy being on the court together, I'm not sure you're going to go all the way on certain plays, or if you don't have full trust in your partner, you may not put in your full effort. So I think you have to have a complement your skill set, um, have decent chemistry, like enjoy being playing together. But even if you don't enjoy it, you can still make it work, but certainly having a mentality that what can I do on this next play? to help my partner. If, if you stop thinking about yourself so much and think about what do I need? And you just think about what can I contribute to my partner? You know, you almost feel like there's a bit of a sense of relief that's removed from your shoulders. If you think about what am I doing in the next play to help my partner rather than thinking about only what do I need to do right now to make this rally a success? Before we get to our last question, here's a friendly reminder to download the BetStamp app using code DIMES, where you can compare the best available odds at one sportsbook versus the worst odds at another sportsbook all in one place. Now back to the show. 
For sure. For sure. Well, Mark, this has been great. It's been great to get you on the show and to add some details of what I thought was a career, but it was good to hear the the behind the scenes stories. But uh, one tradition we've made on the show is just to tell a funny or unique story because the volleyball community is so amazing. I was hoping you could just give us a laugh before we let you go. Yeah, sure. Um, I have one story. This is one of the first ones that comes to mind. And I was telling somebody about this, a few people about this a few weeks ago. So it's fresh in my mind. Um, I can't remember what year, I guess it was my last year. I don't know. 2008 ish, 2006, I was playing with Anton Hauser at Provincials. And it was a two day tournament. We just finished the first day. Our quarterfinal playoff match started at 9 a.m. Sunday morning. So, you know, I went home. I went out to uh, grab a burger at a place called, it used to be called Craft Burger. Now it's called the Big Smoke Burger, pretty sure. Anyway, it's in malls. You'll see it. But went out and grabbed a burger. Felt great. Went to bed. Our game was supposed to start at 9 a.m. Sunday morning. So about, I don't know, 5.30 in the morning or so, Sunday morning, I woke up with the worst case of food poisoning. I was just like lying on the floor of my bathroom, sick as a dog. I couldn't move. And I so remember the pain was was so intense in my stomach that it would have easily chopped off my right arm to make it go away. No problem. But um, so I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I can't. Obviously, I can't play. I can't even stand up without being sick. So. We had to play in a few hours. I just messaged Anton. I said, listen, I can't play. There's no way. So he said, okay, fine. So then a few minutes later, he messages back and he says, you know, his, his um, partner at the time was um, a nurse. And he said, listen, if I can get a bag of IV, would you meet me at the beach? You know, it might help a little bit. And I said, and I said, first thing I said was absolutely not like this is going to do nothing. I can't even stand up right now. I'm so sick. And my wife said, just throw your gear on, just go meet him. At the very least, you'll get some IV in you and you might feel a little bit better. So I said, okay, that's fine with me. And so I said, oh, by the way, don't meet in the usual parking lots. Meet at the one over by the marina. And I thought, okay, why does it feel like we're doing something illegal? Now? <laughs> you know? So I met over there. I, I guess, I guess maybe it was more that hopefully we wouldn't, we wouldn't let any other teams know what we were doing, you know? Anyway, so I remember showing up, jumped in the back of Anton's car, they put the IV in me and I remember I was just lying there with my eyes closed because I felt so sick. I remember at one point I opened my eyes and I saw Anton was squeezing the IV bag with both hands as hard as he could. And I said, Anton, is that okay? Like, is that going to hurt me? Is that, and he's like, Shh. he's like, just, just close your eyes. Just close <laughs> so, so I got the whole bag of IV in me. Our match started about five minutes. We ran over to the court. Uh, we were playing uh, Darren Goss and Pitstaka, and we basically just jumped on the court we bumped the ball a couple of times. We each got one set. I'm like, all right, let's just try this. And I think everyone thought we were either being cocky by not warming up or that we just slept in. And we ended up beating them in three. <laughs> and then our semifinal match, we played uh, Snake and Andrew Hinchy, and we beat them two straight. And then just before we were about to start the finals against Garrett May and Cam Whelan, um, you know, we had our we had this little routine down now where we just pepper for literally a minute. We hit one ball each because I felt so crappy. So just before the finals were about to start, my stomach was still such a mess. And I don't know if people want to hear this or not, but I was, you know, I was passing gas all day. But suddenly I was a little bit concerned that maybe I passed a little more than gas. So I had to actually go run to the washroom just before match started just to investigate, make sure everything was okay. And uh, on the way down to the washroom on the boardwalk, I saw John May and Marquise were standing there. And I remember as I was walking by, Marquise kind of looked at his watch looked at me and gave a kind of a suspicious, a suspicious look and said, don't you have a match to prepare for? I just didn't even, didn't even acknowledge it. I just kept walking, went to the washroom, 
checked and I did in fact pass more than gas, unfortunately. So luckily I had an extra pair of shorts in my car. I got changed, got back to the match. Um, and unfortunately we did not have enough left in the tank to win the finals that day, but that is certainly a moment I will never forget. <laughs> of course, Anton comes through. That guy could find anything in the clutch there. So that's so funny that you put it together <laughs> that way. And we're still beating good teams where like, yeah, I, I, myself and most people can't even get out of bed when they're feeling that way. And you're winning matches at OVA Provincials. Yeah, well, we're, we're, I'm probably pretty lucky because no one knew what was going on. So we were just hoping people would serve Anton and keep it away from me and I think they did that probably half the time. So that I'm sure that helped a little bit too. <laughs> well, amazing, man. It was so cool to hear about your career and everything that you've accomplished and, and to see you in the coaching world is just so exciting because I think you have so much to pass on. So thanks for everything you've done for our sport and thanks for everything you shared on the show today. Thanks, Josh. Real pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on.